Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us why the worldwide flood had to come during the days of Noah and how Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now, here's some highlights from this week's messages. My orange tree is like our hearts, and the orange tree is like the Holy Spirit. Keep the word. Keep means to incorporate it to the level of saying, I want to do what it says. God is looking on our thoughts. God is monitoring what we are thinking about. Now here's Tom Cantor as we conclude our Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday expository study in Genesis. A friend is a person who knows something bad about you and loves you. That's a friend. A friend is a person who knows something bad, something bad about you, but he loves you. You know what a best friend is? A best friend is the one who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. That's God. That's God. That's Jesus is his name. A best friend is the one who knows the worst about you and loves you just the same. And Jesus is his name. That's him. That shows us the love of God. God saw. He knows everything about us. He knows the worst and he loves us. That makes him our best friend. Now, what did he see? The wickedness was great. It tells us that what man was doing was very bad. The earth was a violent place, it says in verse 11 and verse 13. And by the way, it describes that very carefully because it says that it was corrupt. It says, verse 11, the earth also was corrupt before God and the earth was filled with violence. Have you ever considered that before violence comes corruption, moral corruption runs before violence. Or put it a different way, violence follows moral corruption. That's what verse 11 is telling us. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. And then it says, the thoughts of man were evil. You know, this is interesting, because when an evil thought comes into our minds... First, it arrives as a suggestion, as a suggestion. And right away, we're faced with a decision. What will we do? It's like a little brush fire that started. And will we quickly mobilize, identify it, go and extinguish it, which is what we need to do? Or will we just say, oh, it's not worth the effort. It's not so bad. Don't put it out and allow it to continue. And then that thought, which was a suggestion, grows to a little bit larger, gets to a little bit different stage in our minds when it becomes mixed in with purpose or with intent. Now all of a sudden, that thought has an intention behind it. That thought has a purpose behind it. The bad thought that is not put out grows into a, now I want to do. The word translated for as imagination, is interesting. Remember how before we talked about how God formed man out of the dust of the earth, and we said that was the word yatsar, the word yatsar, he formed man out of the dust of the earth, he 
formed with his hands like a potter. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. You remember how that word was the yatsar? You really got to the point where you could see the hand involvement as God formed man. That's the word that's used there. And from that action, man became known not just as man, but a beautiful title in verse 7 of chapter 2. Beautiful title for man. Because what happened is that God formed man of the dust of the earth. Sorry, then it's verse 8 that gives another new name. Verse 8 reads like this. And the Lord God planted a garden in eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. What a beautiful title for man. Not just man, but man whom God had formed. Have you ever thought of yourself like that? You're not just whatever your name is, but you are your name whom God had formed. You are the work of God. God put his hands together and he formed you in the womb. And just as Adam had this title, man whom he had formed, so we also have that title as well. It's wonderful. But what we see is that with God is when he made man, he had this intention. So he goes forward and he forms it with his hand. There was a purpose. There was an intention in God's heart when he made man. And from that purpose in his mind, that intention in his heart, he uses his hands to form. Now, that's the word yatsar. The word for imagination here is the word yetsar, which comes from yatsar. So the idea is that man is not just thinking a bad thought, but he's gone to the next level of like putting his hands to it or trying to bring it about. In other words, he's got purpose and intention to those bad thoughts. Man's trying to figure out how he's going to do it, how he's going to execute it. This means that really there are two parts to man's mind when it comes to evil. First, there's a part where the evil thought is entertained where it's kind of amusing. And then it rises to the next level in the mind where the thought has now got a little bit more involvement in entertainment and amusement. Now it's got intent and purpose. This is this word, yetzar. And now it's just the next step before the actual act itself comes out. How can you know How can I know that when you or I have a thought, is that a thought or is that an actual got intent to it? How can we know that? Well, to separate simple thoughts from more advanced thoughts with intent is described for us. It's exactly in Hebrews 4.12. And it says, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Can you do that? Can you say, well, that was your soul, that was your spirit? No way. Well, who's speaking right now? Is your soul your spirit? No way. But the word of God is so sharp that it can divide between your soul and your spirit. And it says, piercing even to the dividing of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That's the wonder of the Bible. The wonder of the Bible. It's the great exposure of not only our evil thoughts, but also the thoughts that have progressed to have intent. That's why the Lord said in Matthew 15, 19, out of the heart of man proceed 
evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. From the heart proceed or rise up evil thoughts. That's what was meant in 2 Samuel when it spoke about the wrath of the king arose. In other words, it comes out of his heart. So why did the flood come? Why did the flood come? Was it because of the corruption of the line of Cain? What corruption? They were already corrupt. What's to be corrupted? They were already bad. They were already corrupt. It wasn't because of the corruption of the line of Cain. It was because of the corruption of the sons of God. The sons of God had become corrupted. And they represent for God the remnant on the earth. Just like that was the whole basis of Abraham's arguing for the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham said, I know there's great wickedness, there's Sodomites in Sodom and Gomorrah, but let's just say if there's 50 righteous there, we are destroyed. He says, no, what Abraham was doing is he understood this principle here. He understood this principle that if the remnant, the people of God, the sons of God had kept themselves clean, had kept themselves from being corrupted, that they would preserve or hold back judgment. And so how did the remnant at that time become corrupted? By marrying outside the will of God, as we saw earlier. Like today, you take a young woman, and she's dating a certain fellow, planning to get married. Then she's asked the question, is he saved? And if he's not, she typically will reply, no, but I'm working on that. I'm working on him. Then comes the next statement. Well, do you know that what the Bible says about being unequally yoked? Then, back, comes the snap, the angry flash of the eyes, and the statement, that's my business. That's not your business. That's none of your business. Now, that was the position of these sons of God if they were challenged about being unequally yoked. That's how they became corrupted. That's when God's remnant became corrupted. There was nothing left for God except to bring the flood judgment on the earth. But then it says, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, last week we talked about, from Genesis 6, 8, the two words, found grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And we saw that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord because grace was there to be found. And Noah was looking for, he sought the grace of God and he found it. And if anyone wants to find the grace of God, he can find it because God has set it out there for a person to find and to get. That's the wonderful thing about God. That's exactly what Noah found the grace of God. If you turn to Titus 2.11, it's a very interesting verse where it says, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Think of Noah with this verse, Titus 2.11. Think of Noah who found grace in the eyes of the Lord. What kind of grace of God did Noah find? The same grace that's described in this verse. The grace of God that bringeth salvation. What was Noah's greatest need? Noah needed to be saved from the flood that was coming, from the flood judgment. What is man's greatest need today? Man needs to be saved from the judgment that's coming, from the hell judgment. How did Noah find salvation that saved him from the flood judgment? By looking for it. 
and he found the grace of God. How does man today find salvation from the hell judgment? By looking for it from God. That's what God means, and he's inviting man. There's really an invitation verse when he says in Jeremiah 29, 13, and ye shall seek me and find me when ye shall search for me with all your heart. We talked about half-heartedness last week. Noah found the grace of God that bringeth salvation. And that salvation was a big boat. And if you wanted to name that boat, you could go onto the back of that boat, you could make a sign, you could just nail it right to there. SS, grace of God that bringeth salvation. Because that's exactly what it was. There's another wonderful truth in this verse, though. If you turn to Isaiah chapter 53, verses 9 through 11, we read about the Lord Jesus Christ, and it says, And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see a seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So here in these verses, what do we see? Verse 9, God the Father sees God the Son. God the Son who had become a man. God the Son who had become a perfect man, a qualified Lamb of God, without blemish. And those were given to us by the words, He had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in His mouth, a qualified Lamb of God without blemish. Next, in verse 10, like Abraham with Isaac on Mount Moriah, we see in verse 10, God the Father like Abraham raising His knife over God the Son, only this time. No restraining angel. That's the difference. And it goes down, the knife goes down. No restraining angel. And he sees this, please the Lord to bruise him. And then in verse 11, these amazing words. We see God the Father watched very closely all the sufferings that were coming to God the Son. God the Father was watching very closely In verse 11 it says, He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Those words, he shall see, mean that what they mean is that God the Father gazed on the Son on the cross. He gazed at the cross. And that's where he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. So he was gazing on it. He shall see. It means that God the Father forever sees the cross in his eyes. He shall seize means that if you could see the eyes of God the Father, you would see the reflection of the cross in his eyes. Why? Because that's what those words mean. He shall see in God the Father's eyes forever is the cross. In the eyes of God is the cross. And when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, it means that Noah found in the eyes of God the sacrifice. He found the cross. He found the cross 
as the grace of God that bringeth salvation. That's what it means when it says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It means that Noah found the cross in the eyes of God. And that was the basis for God to save Noah from the flood judgment. If any person wants to be saved from hell, if any person wants to be saved from the judgment of God, the hell judgment of God, he must look to God and know that God has in his eyes the cross because he saw the travail of his soul. And if any person is to find salvation, then he will find the cross in the eyes of the Lord because that's what God is looking at to save the souls of men from hell judgment. The hell that man deserves, God will save him because of the cross. That's what it means in Acts 4.12 when it says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. John 14.6, where Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. When it comes to the salvation of man, God has only one thing firmly in his sight, the cross. And in the cross, he sees his son making the only adequate salvation sacrifice for man's sin. And when man with his most pressing need for salvation turns his sight away from everything else in life, turns his sight away from his own works, turns his sight away from man's religions, turns his sight away from every other pursuit and puts his sight firmly on the cross, then God and lost man have the same thing that they're looking at, the cross. That's why Paul said in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. What's the gospel of Christ? The cross. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Well, this is as far as we have time today, so let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for having the cross in your eyes. And Lord, thank you so much for enabling us to find grace in your eyes. Thank you, Lord, for fixing our sight also on the cross and for giving us the knowledge that your righteous Son would justify us as we put our faith in his great sacrifice. Thank you, Lord, for doing this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Dad, today you talked about not being ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Honestly, there have been times when I've been tempted to be ashamed of my faith. So the question is, how do you keep from being ashamed? And if we're honest, we'll all say that there's been times when we've been tempted to be ashamed of our faith. Oh, it's real easy to take the Peter stand of, though everyone denies you, not me, Lord, or I'm ready to die with you, he says only uh, before he denies the Lord three times. And the Lord had to say to him when he said that, Peter, Satan hath desired you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. See, the Lord said, I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. 
And Paul also, even the great apostle Paul, he also was tempted to be ashamed. Why do we know that? Because of what he said in Ephesians 6, this great chapter on taking on the whole armor of God. And he comes to Ephesians 6.18, and he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So here he's saying to all the saints, put all this armor on, and then stand there like a soldier and pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. And then he says, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So he's saying, not only praying, but watching. In other words, looking for where the kinks in the armor are, looking for the weak weak places there. And don't just look casually, but he's saying watching thereunto with all perseverance. In other words, with really, really putting yourself into this and making the eagle eye to be able to look for where is the Achilles heel, where are the weak points. And then the question, not just for yourself, not just that you can stand, but because he, then he says, and supplication for myself? No. He says, and supplication for all saints. In other words, it's not only for yourself, but for others as well. I just talked to a, a dear friend of mine uh, who had been a missionary in, in Brazil and in Mexico, and he told me how his son-in-law is going to a Calvary chapel, and what they do there, the men get together very early in the morning, and they write down their prayer requests, and they put the cards inside of a box, and then they don't have the donuts and coffee, and they don't have the Bible study, and they don't do anything. They just pass the box around. Each of them takes out a card. They pray for that request. They put it down, and then the the, the next meeting that comes in the, uh, later on, the ladies come together. They use the same box. What are they doing? With all perseverance, there's supplication for all saints. In other words, they're praying for others, and that's what Paul says to do. And then he says, and by the way, he, and Paul says in verse 19, and for me, and so Paul's going to give his request. So in essence, Paul's saying, if you pull my card out of that box. Here's what's going to be written down for me. He says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So Paul's saying too, he's saying also, he's saying, he's saying, look, you know, I'm tempted to be ashamed. I am. So I'm telling you that I'm asking you, you please, will you pray for me? Will you pray that utterance may be given to me? What does he mean, utterance may be given to him? He means that I must have what God gives me to speak. I must have the words of God. The Lord Jesus Christ said that when the spotlight gets turned on you, he said, don't take any thought for what you're going to speak because you just start speaking. It's not you that speak. It's the Holy Spirit. And this is what Paul's saying. He said that utterance may be given me from God. In other words, I look to God. Oh, God. God, give me what I should say. I want you to look to God for me. Oh, God, give Paul what he should say. And for all saints, we should do this, that utterance may be given unto them, that they may open the mouth boldly. This is what Paul says twice in this passage here. Uh, Paul uses the word boldly. He says that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. This is a big word, boldly. What's boldly mean? Does it mean brash? Does it mean arrogant? 
doesn't mean obnoxious. No, it means with confidence, with assurance, with faith. That is that where he knows he's standing on the solid rock. Where does that come from? It comes from God. And that's why he says that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. This is what Paul is saying here. Make known the mystery of the gospel. I will, the gospel, what's the mystery of the gospel? That God should die for our sins. That's a mystery. As the hymn says, tis mystery all the immortal dies. Who can explain this? But Paul says that I make known the mystery of the gospel, that God came in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came to bear our sins upon us. He came to die for our sins. God died for our sins on the cross. Why is that so important? Because that's the gospel. Believe that, receive that, receive him as Lord and Savior, and you're saved and you're going to heaven. And he says, I am an ambassador in bonds. In other words, Paul says, you look at these chains, that's just from an earthly perspective. But as far as heaven is concerned, I am God. God's ambassador, and I stand here and I speak as God's ambassador, and God wants me to speak as God's ambassador. And what does God want to be spoken? The mystery of the gospel, and that's what he wants us to speak, the mystery of the gospel, to make it known. And it's not necessarily what I say, but how I say it, because he said that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Thank you for joining us today. Now remember that today's message and previous messages are always available for free listening and free download at our websites, friendshipwithgod.org and also israelrestoration.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org and israelrestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about the friendship of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we'd like to hear more from you and what you like about Friendship with God. So you can call us today at one 800 247 3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can also send Tom Cantor an email. You can email him at Tom Cantor. That's Tom, C-A-N-T-O-R, Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor and Israel Restoration Ministries on Facebook. And there you can receive a daily devotional verse from Tom Cantor. So look us up today on Facebook or call us again at 1-800-247-3051.